0: Ephesians um, chapter 4, we're going to see in verse 11, the last four gifts. The message is entitled, The Gifts of Apostles, Prophets, Evangelists, and Pastor Teachers. The number of gifts we have um, studied in our series up to this point are 17. And we've seen that they are so necessary for the efficiency of the life of the body. The illustration we can't miss, Paul in Romans and Corinthians uh, 12, about a human body, the different parts, all connected, all interrelated, interdependent, and yet there's only one head that commands the entire body, and that head is Jesus Christ. These last four gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, are found here in Ephesians 4.11, and Paul the Apostle um, List the gifted men that Jesus gave to the church for the building up of the body in order that every member might reach a mature state of spirituality. In verse eleven it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers, um, pastors and teachers, but as we'll see, it's a hyphenated Um, gift. Paul gives emphasis, notice, to the grace as the source of these men as he did in Romans uh, here also in verse 7. It is grace. In verse 11 Paul places the emphasis on the fact that Jesus gave these gifted individuals not on the men themselves but the gifted individuals. By the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes him effective. And in verse 9 and 10, Paul gives the explanation on how this came to be. Uh, this parenthetical passage in verse 9 and 10 provides the details of what to place after Jesus um, was placed in the tomb. As he descended to the lowest parts and he ascended up on high, he spoiled principalities and powers, made a public display of them, Colossians 2.14 says. So Jesus dispersed these gifts among these particular men, as he says here. So these um, four gifts are operated through the gifted men in order to administrate the church for growth, development, and maturity. They are the four. The gift of apostles, gift of prophets, gifts of evangelists, and the gift of some pastor teachers. Jesus gave some to be apostles. That comes first. There are three lists of the gifts, as you know. The list in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 3 through 8, emphasizing the exclusion of boasting. God is the giver of both the gift and the measure of faith. That's the focus there. The list in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 11, and then 27 to 31, it emphasizes the diversity of the ministration and operation of the gifts, which magnifies unity. So the focus is different. Our list here in Ephesians emphasizes the complement of men, Needed for a healthy church. They work all together. In fact, as you know, the Apostle Peter emphasized by way of exhortation. In 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. That every believer has at least, at the minimum, one gift. Listen to him. As each one has received the gift, minister it So you and I have at least one gift, probably more than one, and as we've seen, they work in multi-combination. Very rarely do they work one at a time, though it can be and does sometimes, but in combination. Now notice there were 12 apostles chosen and commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. That is very clear in the gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, their names of these 12 are listed for us. And the word apostle, as you know, means to delegate a messenger, literally one sent out or sent forth in order um, uh, and with orders for the function of the one who sends him. So he is commissioned. He is sent. He, He does not go out in his own name. And the word appears 81 times in the noun form in the New Testament. And the early apostles, as you know, were sent out to preach the gospel to the world. This is what they were apostles, apostles of Jesus Christ, commissioned with the gospel, the good news, to proclaim the good news that God sent the Son to die for the world, to pay the price of sin, and that man could only approach God on the basis of that payment and that righteousness by grace through faith. And that if people repent and believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, they would be saved. And so the faith, again, points us to the revelation of God, as we've said many times, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the requirements are given to us in the book of Acts in chapter 1 verse 21 and 22. And we're talking about the requirement for the 12. In 21 and in the first part of 22, it says they must have been with Jesus from the time of the baptism of John until Jesus was taken up. The second requirement is the rest of 22. In Acts 1, it says they must have been a witness of the resurrection. Now, as you know, Matthews met these qualifications and was chosen. The apostles quoted scripture as being fulfilled by God choosing Matthew through lots. Now, some teach that Paul was the 12th apostle and that really the apostles made a great mistake there in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. I beg to differ. They quote scripture. They prayed to God, God chose, and not only that, in Acts 1, 17 and 20, and verse 23 and 26. But when you get to Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And the twelve being present, that means that God honored Matthews because it was God who chose him. Paul the apostle did not meet the second qualification. He did see the Lord resurrected on Damascus Road. But he wasn't with Jesus from the baptism of John. So he couldn't have been the 12 apostles. From the scriptural aspect, it's just real simple. Now, the termination of these 12 is very, very obvious then. The death of the 12 ended the existence of the 12 apostles. The original 12 did not pass down their office to any other person, as taught by the Catholic Church, that... The Pope is the successor of Peter. That Peter was the first Pope. No. Peter denies it. As he goes at the house of Cornelius in Acts 10. Cornelius kneels down before him. He says, stand up. I am a man like you. So somebody forgot to tell Peter he was Pope. And also in 1 Peter 5.1. He says, I Peter, who am an elder among you, calls himself an elder, not the pope. So everything in Scripture and in the history that we have in the book of Acts denies that Peter was the first pope. When Peter and Paul were up at Antioch, Peter played the hypocrite. He was eating with the Gentiles, and then he when he saw some Jewish, Gentile, Jewish Jews come from Jerusalem, he moved over to the kosher table to get a Hebrew national. And Paul rebuked him. Okay? So that proves he was not Pope. He was not infallible. Okay? But he was fallible like anybody else. And so, there were other disciples and apostles sent also besides the 12 apostles, as you know. There were 70 disciples that Luke 10.1 tells us about, and they were sent out in pairs. And Paul and Barnabas were called apostles who were sent out by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3. The Holy Spirit says, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the ministry which I have called them. And then the church confirmed and affirmed what God did. And they agreed and they sent them out. But they did not commission them, the Holy Spirit, that they just confirm the calling and the sending by the Holy Spirit. Men do not send men out. God is the one who sends and calls and anoints and sends men out into ministry in the mission field. This is the big problem today. Too many men are sent by men and that's why they fail. And they look and depend upon man rather than God. I'll tell you, you will approach life differently and ministry differently if you believe God called you and you depend totally on God to do the work and to take care of you. Rather than going before a board and submitting your letter of application and they will promise you that they will give you finances until they get tired of you. It's a big difference. Now, Andronicus is called an apostle in Romans 16.7. Paul calls himself an apostle, and specifically an apostle to the Gentiles in Romans 11.13 and 1 Corinthians nine one. So Paul has a very specific and special calling. Though he was a Jew and sat on the feet of Gamaliel, um, he was um, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, um, just... Ran circles around his contemporaries, and yet he's called to be apostle to the Gentiles as a Jew. Amazing. Peter calls himself an apostle in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. So, we must make a distinction between the 12 apostles and the disciples that were sent out in pairs by the 70, and then other apostles that came after the 12 apostles. So there's a distinction in Scripture. Now their function was to preach and establish churches as apostles. They were the setting of the foundation of the church, the Scriptures tell us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone foundation of the church. And so the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The Old Testament and the New Testament ones, as we'll see. And everything that they taught is what Jesus taught in Scripture. Nothing contradicted Jesus. Nothing was an addition to Jesus. Nothing took away from the words of Jesus, but only in accord with the Scriptures. Now, they did not have a plush life as apostles. Listen to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 15. He says, for I think Paul speaking here that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have uh, been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten, homeless, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat, we have been made as the filth of the world, the outscoring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved brethren, I warn you, for though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet... You do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. He's rebuking the Corinthians because they had exalted themselves and they were judging Paul. And and, 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 and Paul, like a spiritual father, just gives them their spanking. (laughs) He says, do you realize what my life is like, what an apostle is like? And he lays it out a little bit there. And it's a mockery, you know. I am, the, you know, we have nothing. You have everything, you know. You're living a plush life. We're being persecuted. And it's a mockery and a comparison. Now, an apostle is like an ambassador. One who represents a government with delegated authority and whose government is judged by their own actions and lifestyle in that foreign land. If the ambassador of the United States conducted himself in a very poor or unethical or an immoral way in another country, it would be the reputation of the United States because he represents the United States. An apostle was one who represented Jesus Christ as they went out. Certainly all of us as Christians do, but more so here is an apostle who was sent out to start churches. There are no more apostles today, then, in the true sense of the Twelve. Though some attempt to claim the office for recognition and authority over others, there's no such thing. Though some attempt to use it to gain financial support, also, they want that title. As if they have some special anointing above anybody else. We're all Christians. We all have different gifts. We're all called to do something in the body and been enabled by Jesus. One is not greater than another. So when this title is used to intimidate, to rule, or to extract from people, it is an absolute abuse of it. 2 Corinthians 11, 12-14 says, But what I do... I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded such as we are in the things which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. So Paul points out those who were misusing and abusing the title and office of apostle to get over on people. Okay? Okay? Nothing has changed. Now, the function of the apostle is in a very practical way fulfilled by every believer and all who have gone out throughout the centuries um, since the apostles, as they go out and are sent out to do ministry for, by, and through Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus in John twenty twenty one. He said, As my Father has sent me, I also send you. You might be at home, ministering uh, to your family or just kicking around and, and God may lead you to go share with your neighbor. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You may run into somebody in the grocery store and the Lord just opens the door for you to share Christ Jesus. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We're all witnesses of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says we are called ambassadors for Christ the great commission is go therefore and make disciples of all nations in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. it's one of five great commissions all four gospels have it the fifth one is in the opening of the book of Acts the closest equivalent today might be a modern day missionary if you will he or she is sent out with the message of the gospel to those who do not know Jesus Christ He or she goes out being called and anointed by God, not simply sent by man. And again, the problem today is men send out men that were never called. Just because they've made an appeal or just because a board says yes, we'll provide for you or whatever. He or she is committed to, uh, in their call, not based on results, but on being called and sent out by God, not by man like Barnabas and Saul in Acts thirteen one and 3. So when men or an individual is depending on the organization or the church or that church board for them being sent out, then they'll always have to depend upon that board. So sometimes people say, <clears throat> you know, God's called me to the mission field. Um Well, when, when did he call you? Well, I've known this for since three years. Why haven't you gone? Well, I'm raising my support right now. God told you three years ago, and, and you're waiting for the support? No, you're waiting for man to support you. The Holy Spirit says, separate me. Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry. And the church said, the Lord called you out, Go. there's never any offerings sent to Paul through letters or appeals. The Philippians sent twice out of love. The Corinthians said they were going to do it and those offerings were mainly for the poor saints of Jerusalem. Though Paul did acknowledge that he received a couple from Philippi. And so, we send no one God should call you, send you, and anoint you. We don't allow, therefore, letters of begging. We never have any appeals from the pulpit. Or we never allow people to pass letters out to be burdening you. We don't do that. We believe where God guides, He provides. And if He calls you, He will take care of you. You will obey Him. And you will depend upon Him. And He will show Himself strong. It will never have to do with numbers or the easiness of the call. But who he calls, he enables. He's not the author of confusion. This has always been the philosophy of Calvary Chapel, as Pastor Chuck taught it. But Chuck is dead two years ago. Things are changing. But we are not changing. Not because I'm following Chuck, because I'm following the philosophy of the ministry. Of the Bible. It says where God guides, he provides. He takes care of us. Okay? And it's very, very clear. So Jesus gave some to be apostles. Secondly, Jesus gave some to be prophets. The prophets of the Bible are usually thought primarily to be those predicting future things, which is really a misnomer. The primary function of a biblical apostle was to speak forth the word of God. Forth telling, speaking forth the word of God. So the prophet was the mouthpiece of God to the people of God. The secondary function of a prophet is that of foretelling, declaring future events. But the primary function was to speak for God to the people, usually in repentance, then sometimes they would predict future things. But that's not the primary, it's the secondary. And yet we usually think of a prophet primarily as future events. It's backwards. The Old Testament prophets exercise both functions of foretelling and foretelling. Isaiah and Jeremiah call the people to repentance being the mouthpiece of God. And equally, as you know, they predicted the future judgment if they did not repent. They had very difficult ministries, specifically Jeremiah. Peter tells us in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, that all the prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit when they spoke. In other words, they did not speak of their own impulse or origin, but they spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. The old King James and the new King James says there that the the men of old did not speak, uh, that the scriptures are of no private interpretation. That's a bad translation. Because the next verse tells you that they did not speak of their own origin or impulse, but they spoke as the Holy Spirit was carrying them along. So in other words, when God wanted to use them to speak under inspiration so that it could be recorded as the New Testament, they spoke inerrant and infallible. But when they were doing regular ministry, they were not infallible. When they lived regular life, they were not infallible. It's very, very clear. Okay? The outcome was that we possess the scriptures that are God-breathed. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Literally, Expired of God, Theopneustos, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, the Word of God, the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, having given to you and myself, as spoken through men inspired by the Spirit of God. Each person speaking using their own vocabulary, you can tell the distinction when Peter writes, when Paul writes, when John writes. Different vocabulary. Yet every one of them was inspired by the Spirit of God, and they spoke inerrant and infallible. And God, in His wisdom and ability, has allowed these scriptures to be given to us in such a manner that this is the Word of God, not the words of men. Read 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, We thank God that you received the gospel as the word of God, not as the word of men. Now, the prophets were not always of the priestly line, as you know. Some were herdsmen and fruit pickers like the prophet Amos. Um, They were called by God. And they were called and sent out to call the people of God back to repentance. Amos was sent to the northern kingdom and uh, sent to Bethel, the uh, pagan altars. And they got all ticked off of them, says, hey, go prophesy somewhere. I says, listen, I was a fruit picker. I was a sheep breeder. Don't talk to me about it. And that's because the priesthood had become corrupt, the kings had become corrupt, and the people of God had become corrupt. So God called normal people and anointed and enabled them. To be the prophets for God. Now, the New Testament prophets exercise both functions, also of foretelling and foretelling, as the Old Testament. Acts fifteen thirty two, Judas and um, Silas, being prophets, exhorted the brethren with many words and strengthened them. It says in Acts eleven. 28 and 29. Agabus the prophet came from Jerusalem to Antioch and revealed a future famine. And each, according to their ability, attempted to send relief. So there you have predictive events. And it happened just as he said. In Acts 21.11, Agabus again, the prophet, revealed Paul's future at Jerusalem. He said he took Paul's belt he bound his hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit. Those were some pretty heavy words. You're stepping out on a limb. Thus saith the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentile. And such was the case. A prophet of God was 100% accurate. And if not... They were to stone him. And I don't mean loaded. I mean kill with stones. Okay? So those who want to claim the office of apostle today or prophet, are they willing to be stoned if they're not accurate? <laughs> because that's what took place in those days. The ministry of the Gentiles was revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and prophets. Listen to Ephesians 3.5. The mystery which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So we have God's revelation to these men so that it would be recorded and we would have it in the future generations. So the canon is closed. There are no more prophets speaking predictively for the future. You cannot add the book of Xavier, the book of, you know, Philip or anybody. There's no, the canon is closed, okay? The identity of the believer is a fellow citizen and member of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus being the chief cornerstone Paul says here in Ephesians 2 19 and 20 the apostles and the prophets the things that God revealed to them the things that they spoke and we have the 27 books in the New Testament 66 of the Old Testament I mean 39 66 total, 39 and 27 now Nathan is a classic example of a prophet who uh, brought David both the word of God and revealed future things about the life of David, including his sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah and the future hardship that he would experience. And it came to pass exactly. So once again, 100% accurate. There is uh, no longer... And are no longer prophets today that speak under the inspiration to reveal future events that um, add to the scriptures then, as I said earlier. The canon is closed, though the gift of prophecy is valid for today. Let me read you something here in um, Hebrews 11, um, well, 1 through 3. I mean, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So God who spoke through the fathers and the prophets in the last days, in the previous days, now has spoken and only speaks to his dear son. So there's no longer prophets speaking about future things or adding to the scriptures in a prophetic form of future events that has ceased The closest thing today of a prophet, again, would be an itinerant preacher. The office and gift of the prophet is exercised in preaching, in one sense, for edification, exhortation, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 tells us that. So as I am preaching, I am speaking forth God's word. That's one of the way the gift of prophecy is fulfilled, as you're being edified and exhorted and comforted. The office and give can certainly predict something in the future to a person. But if it is of God, then the individual should wait upon God to confirm and bring it to pass and not go out and try to fulfill it themselves. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty nine through 33 um, makes this very clear. Um, Pastor Chuck, when he first went to Costa Mesa as he was raised in the four-square denomination and left that denomination and just worked, and then God sent him out to Costa Mesa. Um, He received the prophecy when he got there. Um, And uh, it was only a little church over there on Sunflower of 25 people. And um, the prophecy was that he was going to be a shepherd Of many flocks and that he would be known around the world. Well, there were only 25 people then. So somebody says, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord says this. Usually it's people who are speaking of their own agenda. But you always have to be open to see if it's God. But if it's God, when that is declared, you write it down. And if that's God, God will bring it to pass. You don't go out and fulfill it. Do you know how many people have received the prophecy, thus saith the Lord, God's called you to the mission field, and people buy it, and they sell their house, and they go out there, and they come back devastated? If God calls you and sends you, He'll take care of you. Or someone says, thus saith the Lord, the Lord told me to tell you that you're going to marry me. And people do it. And then you go, oops. Happens all the time. The office was abused by many in the early church, leading to the teaching of the 12 apostles called the Dedekhi in 100 AD. There are many things, and you can look it up in the... Um, internet, the data key, and give you all the, the writings. But let me give you a few of the things that they, they require. A prophet could not abide more than three days. If he did, he was called a false prophet. This way he would not abuse his hospitality and, and use the people of God. That's good. If he declared to have a feast, he stood up he said, Thus saith the Lord... I want you to have a great feast. Fine. He could declare it, but he couldn't eat of it. That guaranteed that there was no self interest, right? If he asked for money, he was to be declared a false prophet. What should we say about the church and Christian radio and television today? I am not against an offering, the Bible is biblical. Once a week when we gather together on Sunday for the facility of the people and whoever wants to, without any pressure, with no sad stories, no tears, no nothing, do it as nonchalant and get on with the important part of the day, the teaching of the Word of God. And if God's in the ministry, he'll take care of it. Begging? They said, you're a false prophet. Wow. How many evangelists, and we're going to get to evangelists here, Get up there and they have their special pick man for the offering. And the guy is a con artist. Now, you seeing you've been given some envelopes and there's some pens also there for your convenience if you don't have one. And I'm going to take mine and I'm going to fill it out and I'm going to make my check out right now. And he gives you an amount or whatever. Get up and walk out. Now, if they say this is an outreach, we're trying to reach people, if God leads you, you can give. Let's pray. No pressure, no nothing. I have no problem with it. But when they manipulate you, when they coerce you, when they give you a sad story, know that it's not God. It's man. Okay? And I get a lot of feedback, this negative feedback, but I don't really care. It makes no difference. Anybody from this pulpit ever begs you, get up and walk out. Somebody says, let's pray for the offering without no pressure. I'm all for it. No big deal. Once a week. Are we clear on this? Okay. Jesus gave some to be prophets. Now, thirdly, Jesus gave some to be evangelists. An evangelist was and is a bearer of the good news of the gospel to the lost. The preaching is made effective by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the man. Let me repeat it. It's effective by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the man. The result is to cause people to repent from their sins and turn to Jesus Christ in repentance for Him to be their Lord and their Savior. It's an amazing gift. It's one of the most amazing gifts in the church of Jesus Christ. The pattern is usually where Christ has not been preached, but not always. Romans fifteen, nineteen through twenty, Paul says he preached where Christ had not been preached. He never built on another man's foundation. The problem today is that people want to do the work. Rather than real evangelism, they do fish swapping. Okay? So they're gonna have a concert or evangelism and they take their flyers and they pass them out in churches. That's not fishing for lost people. That's that's swapping goldfish. How would you like it if I said, Hey, you want to go fishing? Say, Yeah. I say, Okay, I'll pick you up at three in the morning. And I pick you up, you got your gear and everything, and we drive, and all of a sudden we drive to my house, and I pull you into my living room. I say, Okay, let's fish. And there's my aquarium. Most evangelism in the church today is fish transfer from other churches. When we have evangelism, when we do concerts, we go uptown. We don't put our flyers in other churches. We don't ask them to do it. We go where the lost people are. And if God's in it, He's in it. We encourage the people to pray, to invite non-believers. But we don't have, try to rip off people from other churches. We don't want that. True evangelism is for the lost. They were in our heralds entrusted with the message that is not theirs, but it's gone. They were and are given the authority to proclaim that message. And they are only responsible for proclaiming the message, not the response. A herald in that day were people who were hired by the state or the government or the king to make proclamations. Now, again, the message was not there. It was given to them. The authority was not theirs. It was vested to them. They were not responsible for the people's response, only for the proclamation. As an evangelist, God gives you the message. God gives you authority. And he anoints you. And you proclaim it. And the Holy Spirit of God does the convicting, the illuminating, and the drawing in. Never against the will of the individual. Okay? Okay? The problem is, we get our eyes on the man. My brother Rawls is a good example. I've seen Raul get up, and he just steps out and says, I knew you guys were here because you're sinners, and you know, some of you need the Lord. So right now, before I even start, I want you to get up and come if you want to be saved. 100, 200 people walk up. Hasn't even preached the gospel. People look, at, it's not my brother, trust me. I know my brother. It's the Holy Spirit of God exercising that gift. But we get caught up on the person. We idolize the person. That's absolute sin. Philip is the only one called an evangelist in the New Testament in Acts 21, eight. Now he's the only one called an evangelist. This does not mean that there, that he was the only evangelist. We have many examples of evangelists and evangelism, but he's the only one called. He being a deacon in Acts 6 6, he began serving as a deacon. He went down to the city of Samaria, as you know, he preached Christ to them and they believed in Acts 8 5. The Samaritans, halfbreeds, <laughs> lost. Philip was Spoken to by the angel of the Lord. And told this. Arise and go towards the south. Along the road. Which goes down. From Jerusalem to Gaza. And he preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. Christ. And he repented in Acts 8.26. Here he's at Samaria. There's a great revival going on. God's using them. And the Holy Spirit says. Alright. I want you to go over here to Gaza. Desert place. God had one person. The evangelist listens to the voice of God. He doesn't go only where the crowds are. He'll go to the one. And God saves those from the crowds as well as the one that he sent, right? Because God knows who's going to be open, who's going to be receptive, right? Because God's doing the work. Simple. A classic example of modern day evangelists is Billy Graham or Franklin Graham. Perfect examples. Now, evangelists are used by God to cause growth of the church from without, outside of the church, as well as from within, as non believers repent in the church from their sin, and they're saved, but primarily it's outside the church. Now, I am not an evangelist, but I do the work of an evangelist, and that's what I get teaching. I always make an appeal at the end if someone's present because you never know who is present. And regardless whether I'm preaching or teaching, <clears throat> I, I'm trusting that God, the Holy Spirit, who's not the author of confusion, is dealing with every person's heart regarding where they're at. And I would never want to present the gospel without giving an offer to accept Christ Jesus. Okay? I cannot force you to be saved, but I can offer you the invitation. And you are the one responsible for the response, not me. I'm only responsible for the proclamation. Sometimes people may feel sorry for me because no one raises their hand or that I don't worry about it. I'm, 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 I'm salaried. I'm not commissioned. It makes no difference to me. Okay? I've never saved anybody, and I don't add to the church. God does. And yet God has been faithful through the years, always to take care of us. Now, evangelism in our day at times is far from being biblical or pure in motive. Too often the preaching is not presented clear and direct regarding sin and salvation. At times, it is an emotional appeal to better one's life or to solve one's problems. Are you tired of being lonely? Are you tired of the drugs? Are you tired of the sexual promiscuity or whatever it may be? Well, that, that, that's not, that's not the gospel. That's just your lifestyle that you're living. And so we make a social appeal and an emotional appeal And what happens is, we move people emotionally, but not with the conviction of the Holy Spirit for the gospel. Okay? Um, Many times, money is the focus, which is the curse of so many so-called evangelists. And there's a manipulation, as I've pointed out. Evangelism, in its most basic operation, is through our daily living Before the world. You are living. And walking epistles. The people who know you best. Are your mom and dad. Your family members. And your friends. Who you used to be. What you did. How you thought. Who you hung out with. And all of a sudden. You are radically changed. You are a placard of evangelism. The power of God through transformation. Jesus says, You are my witnesses in Acts 1 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, so we are all to do the work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy 4 5. But there is a special calling and gift of evangelism. The purpose of the church is to perfect the saints, not the evangelization of the world as so many teach. The purpose of the church is to perfect, to mature, to teach the saints so that you can give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies in you with meekness and fear. We'll get into the next gift, pastor-teacher. Many people teach that the purpose of the church is to evangelize the world. It is not. Nowhere will you find that in Scripture. It's the Great Commission. But that's not the purpose of the church. That's the, um, the principle of expanding the church. It's from growth from without. If we didn't have evangelism from without for the lost, we could never maintain growth just simply from within our families. Because not everybody, not all of our children walk with God, right? And not all of us have a lot of children, Right? So it's from within and from without, but primarily evangelism is from the outside. Communicating to the lost their lost state. Communicating the forgiveness of their sins, which is declared to be the gift of God. Communicating the enabling of their lives through Christ Jesus. Evangelism. You're a sinner. God's wrath is upon you, but God loves you. He sent a son to die for you. He died in your place. He rose from the dead. If you believe that he is the righteousness by which you can stand before God and call upon him, and you believe that he did die for you, you can be saved through repentance. That's the gospel. Okay? Not are you tired of your messed up life. Because not everybody's life's messed up. Okay? Our vision at Pasadena is simple. Get you saved. Get you grounded. Have you reached the lost. That's it. So Jesus gave some to be evangelists. The fourth and last is that Jesus gave some to be Pastor-teachers. pastor teacher speaks of one office. This is separate from the gift of teaching or being a teacher. And should not be taken as two distinct offices here. It's a hyphenated office. Pastor-teacher. You can be a teacher in the church, but not be the pastor. Or be a pastor. You just teach. But you cannot be a pastor without being a teacher. Because you have to feed the flock of God. There's no such thing. The word for pastor here has as its root meaning an idea to protect. The word means to shepherd. A shepherd provides feeding for the flock, for sheep. Sheep are very vulnerable. Jesus is the good shepherd. He says this in John 10 11, and 14. And Peter says it in 1 Peter 2 25 and 5 4. Uh, all, all shepherds are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Paul the apostle spoke about being an under-shepherd. He spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28. And Peter makes the same statement in 1 Peter 5, 2-3. Jesus told Peter to feed his lambs and his sheep when Jesus restored him in John 21, 15-17. Peter, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. When you're converted, strengthen your brother. So a pastor-teacher feeds the flock of God instructs them the word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Genesis to Revelation, teaches them theology, teaches character studies, deals with different things so that you now have equipment to be able to grow, to depend, to mature, and to speak to others about Jesus Christ. So you're not depending on the pastor alone. You can feed yourself. A shepherd protects the sheep also. Jesus said he laid down his life for the sheep because he cares for the sheep, not as the hireling. The hireling flees when the wolves come because he's a wolf himself, John 10, 11 through 13. He does this by warning and commending them to God's word. Paul the apostle, again speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts twenty twenty eight through 32, he declared this. God exposes the idle and false shepherds that feed themselves and not the sheep in Ezekiel 34. And there are many shepherds today that feed themselves and not the sheep. They don't teach them the word of God. They give sermons for Christianettes. They speak motivationally. They give you nice nifty nifty stories. They give you nice little jokes. But they don't teach you the word of God. They talk from the pulpit, but they don't expound the scriptures. I wouldn't want to be about them on Judgment Day if they claim to be pastor teachers. A shepherd prays for the sheep. You remember Samuel when um, the people of Israel were asking for a king like the other nations, and um, Samuel thought that the people of God were rejecting him. And God said, "Sam, what are you uptight for? They're rejecting me, not you." <laughs> and when all and at the end, they he gave them Saul, and they chose him. He was a head taller than everybody else, and handsome, and everything. And the people said to Samuel, "Samuel, don't get upset at us. You know, listen to Samuel what he says in First Samuel twelve twenty three. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing." To pray for you. A pastor teacher. Prays for the sheep. Since the Lord began this church in 1980. The first thing we do in the morning. Is we meet here. And for the first hour. We discuss the business of the day. And we pray for the church. We pray for you individually. As we see the needs arise and all that. That God would direct and guide you. And that God would give us wisdom. That God would take care of things. This is what you do as part of a shepherd. Okay? Paul was always praying for them. If you examine his epistles, he was praying for the people. Paul told the Corinthians, The more I love you, the less I be loved. In 2 Corinthians 12.15, the Corinthians were spiritual teenagers. (laughs) They were being disrespectful to Paul, looking down upon him, doubting his apostleship. This has to be embedded in the heart of a shepherd, a pastor teacher. That people are people, and that sometimes they're going to say and do things that he cannot take personally. He says, the more I love you, the less I be loved. Now, if you're a parent, you know exactly what Paul meant. Because as you're raising your children, the more you love them as they're growing up, the less you're loved sometimes. But you know what you have to do and what you must do so you do not bend to their wishes. The problem is too many parents want to be their children's friends before being parents. It's backwards. You be the best parent and one day you'll be the best of friends. They think that you are the more strictest parent, that you just want to make their life miserable. But you do what you do because you know what is right, and God commands you as the parent, and He'll hold you responsible for them. So, in faith, you obey God. And one day, they might rise up and call you blessed, but between now and then, they'll call you many other things. But it doesn't really matter, does it? A shepherd is the same way. No different. Some of you think I'm the greatest thing since ice cream. When you first come, then I step on your toes, and you say, "Well, you." It won't take long for not liking me or disagreeing with me. All I can do is give you the word of God. I can't force you to live it. I can't even force you to believe it. I'm only responsible to proclaim the word of God. And entrust you to God and pray for you. And never lower the standard at all. Now the word teacher means uh, instructor, part of the same gift again. The teacher and pastor teacher are committed to the flock and they live among the sheep. Paul says, you know what manner I always lived among you, Acts 20, 17 through 18. So a shepherd lives among the people, with the people, not separate from the people. If a shepherd only Comes in on Sunday and is always isolated from the people. And when he's done it with the sermon, he exits out, stays left, and he doesn't sit and talk to the people and pray for the people or answer questions. Go find another church. Simple. He's not a shepherd. He's a hireling. He's not there for you. He wants you there for him. Real simple. There were teachers in Antioch, as Acts thirteen one said, separate from pastor teachers. So two distinct offices. As Paul wanted to teach the flock in the word of God in relation to the everyday practical living, proclaiming and teaching them publicly from house to house, he told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 19 through 20. So once again, he lives with the people. House to house. This church began from a Bible study in a home, three people, in Andalgo Street, in Alhambra, 1980. As Paul, one who preaches repentance towards God and faith in Jesus to all, you are Gentile without respect to person, Acts 20:21. 20, so in other words, we preach the gospel regardless of what color you are, regardless of your wealth, regardless of your lack of wealth, regardless of whether you ride a bike, drive a VW, or a Bentley. It doesn't really matter to me. There's to be no respect to person. All are lost. As Paul, one who was not concerned with his own safety at Jerusalem, but only to finish the race with joy, fulfilling the ministry entrusted to him by the Lord, as he told the Ephesian elders again in Acts 20 22 through 24. As Paul, one who is innocent of the blood of any person due to the fact that he goes through the Bible in an expository manner to give the full counsel of God at Acts twenty twenty six to 27 from Genesis to Revelation. Not select topical studies, but verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Genesis to Revelation. At whatever pace God leads him, all shepherds are different. As Paul, one who sends the responsibility to warn those who will shepherd the flock of God as overseers, knowing Christ purchased the church with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. A true shepherd will always remind the people in leadership that the church does not belong to them. The church was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have been anointed to be overseers and will be held responsible for overseeing, not controlling, not running people's lives. But overseen for their good and their protection and instruction. We are to be the greatest servants of all. We are here to serve you. You're not here to serve us. We are all here to serve those in the body of Christ. As Paul, one who warned those in ministry of their potential to deceive, as wolves and pervert the word in order to draw disciples to themselves, as he told the Ephesian elders in Acts twenty twenty nine through 30. And so through the years we warn, I warn you as a body, I warn leadership, that sometimes people rise up, even as Paul predicted prophetically. When he writes, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy had already taken place. False teachers were in there. Some of the elders that he had spent time with, rose up to bring deception, disciples to themselves. Through the years, we've seen this happen at times. As people come in with false doctrine, they want to bring attention to themselves, or whatever it may be. Some should be teachers, yet they have need of milk, even now, Hebrews 5.12 says, because they haven't grown or mature. Some Christians, they've been born again for years, but they're still sucking on a bottle. They're wetting their pants and scraping their knees. They still have a pacifier in their mouth. They haven't matured. They haven't grown. As Paul, who is and was diligent and consistent through love, warning and commending people to the grace of God, is... Acts 20, 31 and 32. And that's always the case here. We commend you to God, not to ourselves. We point you to him. We commend you to the grace of God that is sufficient. And we pray that you will yield and obey God. And that you will be blessed as God fills you with his Holy Spirit. And enables you to bring glory to him. And to reach others that are so lost as you and I were. Jesus is the greatest example of a shepherd teaching by seeking the lost and laying his life down. Shepherds lead and tend to the flock and the sheep beget the sheep if they're healthy. Ephesians 4:11 through 16 gives you the whole thing right there. The purpose of the church Teachers will have the greater judgment, James 3.1 says. Let there not be many teachers, for to them will be the greater judgment or condemnation. Because they will be held responsible for everything they teach. Whether they're doers or not, whether the teaching is accurate or not, God will hold them responsible. The twofold office is one for a pastor who needs to teach in order to feed the flock. It's a hyphenated gift. Pastor, teacher. You can be a teacher without being a pastor, but you cannot be a pastor without being a teacher. It's one gift. A teacher needs to be motivated by a shepherd's love. The greatest example is Jesus. And so we have studied 21 gifts. Now you need to go to God and see What is your gift? And how will God use you for his glory? Whether you stay here in this church or God takes you somewhere else. So that you serve the body of the church. With your gifts, your calling, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Jesus gave some to be pastors, teachers here. So these are the gifted men. Given To the church by Jesus. He gave some apostles. He gave some prophets. He gave some evangelists. He gave some pastor teachers. These are all the gifts that are mentioned and taught in the New Testament. There are no others that we know of. You cannot teach from the absence of scripture. You can only teach from what is recorded in scripture. You move beyond the scriptures... You're into human speculation, which is nothing but a dumb opinion. Only what is recorded are we to teach as God's word, his revelation that is inerrant and infallible to be taught over the pulpit of the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for tonight, Lord, and we pray you continue to deal with our hearts We thank you for your word. I pray for every person here, Lord, and for those over the Internet, that you would administer their heart, and, and Father, you would use them, and they would understand clearly what it is that you've called them to do and to be and the enabling through the gifts, that you may use them among your people, Lord. I thank you for them, Lord. And so, Father, I just thank you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight... If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins, maybe over the internet. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, born of a virgin, through the conception of the Holy Spirit, died for your sins, rose from the dead, sits at the right of the Father, then you can call upon Him and you can be saved as you acknowledge your sinfulness and your waywardness and your rebellion against God and your need of repentance in the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be accepted by God. If you believe that, the Bible says you can call upon him. It's called repentance. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord, not to us, but to him. And he will save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart, family with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.